0: Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom.
1: We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three. Today, we are going to be discussing education. We got a request of asking us to talk a little bit about our education choices. And so we decided to make an episode out of it.
0: Yeah, so we had some... um Apparently, some people assume that we both homeschool our kids, which is not true. Um, I homeschool my kids. Christine, you don't. But before we start this episode, and since
1: it's a episode on school, we want to talk a little bit about lunches, school lunches, and share what our kids' favorite school
0: lunch lunches are. So, Corey, why don't you go first? Okay, so we don't we pack. Lunches. Since we homeschool, we only pack lunches. Um, we pack lunches one day a week, and then our co-op days, we pack a snack. Um, and the only time that we actually pack a lunch is when we go to swim. (laughs) So it's not actually even school; it's just our swim lessons. Um, and I, I, packing lunches is hard. I think, uh, because my kids don't like, uh, meat, or cheese if it's not like right from the fridge or hot. So it's it's a struggle. Um, but I lot, rely heavily on those like beef sticks and, and epic bars, you know, the like meat bars. Um, and uh, crispy nuts, so soaked and dehydrated nuts, and fresh fruit and veggies. Sounds great. Um, So I would have to say that my
1: kid's favorite lunch is actually this was an idea that I took from a friend. Um, I mentioned we mentioned her in the previous podcast, but she would give her kids tamales on Fridays so that she wouldn't have to cook. (laughs) Not that she wouldn't have to cook, but so that packing lunches was easy. And she taught me how to make tamales. Tamales from scratch. And ever since then, I have also adopted the same schedule. And on Fridays, I give my kids tamales. And I would have to say that that is probably their favorite. They absolutely love them.
0: Okay. Now I want to learn how to make tamales. <laughs> <laughs> so it's easy, but also, but it's a labor of love. Okay. All right. Do you freeze them? So like it's easier to pack the lunches?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. So I okay. I freeze them. I make when you make them, you have to make them in a huge batch. And okay. this this last time that I made them, I actually had a friend who lives who's local here, and she's a chef, and she came over and helped me make them.
0: And so then we. Chefs up. are the best kind of friends. I have one <laughs> of totally. My next door neighbor good. is a chef.
1: <laughs> oh, see, yes, I know. <laughs>
0: it's the best. But uh, yeah, awesome. Okay, so Christine, I didn't know this about you until we were talking about this episode. Um, I knew that you had a background in education, but I did not realize that you also taught. Yes. So what?
1: Tell us about that. So I went through a program similar to Teach for America. It's called the Teaching Fellows Um, and this one, and again, this is, this was all over the U S and this one was particular to New York. So it was New York city teaching fellows and I, um, got my master's in bilingual special education and then taught in New York city for five years in a public school in East Harlem. And it was one of the hardest experiences of my life. Um,
0: you were in a public school, right? Did yes. Yeah, I was
1: at PS 106. Um, and it wasn't one of the better public schools. It was definitely one of the Yeah, it was not highly rated. Um, similar, I public schools have a rating system. Um, so this was not one of the best ones, but Uh, Basically, what I was supposed to do was go in and transition kids from their native language, so in this case, Spanish, over to English. And it was heartbreaking, to be perfectly honest. Um, A lot of these families were immigrants who came in and they were trying to completely eradicate their native language because they thought that that meant that their kids would be more successful if they learned English. And yes, they would be successful, but the I think the detriment here was the fact that they were forgetting their native language. And yeah. research has shown that actually the kids do better when they learn English alongside with Spanish but in this instance, I was bound by, you know, school policies and I, that's what I had to do. Um so that you're bilingual, really aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which is part of the reason why um, I was in this particular program at this school. Um I'm trying to think I worked. And so I was also a special ed teacher. So for several years, I worked as a co-teacher, which basically means that it is, it's a classroom in which 40% are special ed kids and 60% are gen ed kids. And you have one gen ed teacher and one special ed teacher. And so I was the special ed teacher and I, it was really, really hard. It was a lot of kids. Um, it's you're in the particular school that I was at. You don't have a lot of parental support. Um, the kids were coming in. I was teaching first and second grade and these were kids that were like preschool or even pre preschool level. Um, and these were kids that had a lot of family issues. Um, it was it was really really difficult super rewarding uh for sure when you work with these kids but probably the hardest part i would say was actually the administration and the just the politics behind being a public school teacher um and what i learned later was that most public school teachers burn out pretty quickly and they don't burn out because of the kids. They burn out because of the administration. And I would say that that's pretty true. Um, so following the public school that I was in for four years, I switched over to another school in East Harlem, but it was a private school. And this this is really interesting. But So this private school was only for kids with special education. And they... If a parent knew how to work the system, then they would be able to get access, free access, and the Department of Education would pay for it into this school. But there's very few parents that know how to work the system to be able to do that.
0: So Wait, wait, wait. So like anybody could have gone there for free if they had known how to do it? Yes, Yes, wow. and
1: any kid that, or sorry, yeah, any parent who had a child who was a special ed kid and who okay. could not receive the services in a public school, and again, they knew ha- they would have to know how to work the system. Um, then, yes, they could get into this private school for free, and it was a very small private school, very prestigious, and so there. It was weird because there was a small percentage of kids that were there. For free with lower, you know, they were lower socioeconomic status kids. And then there were kids whose parents were actually paying for them to be there. And so I got a complete reversal of parental involvement in this school. Um, and actually this school was the first school that sort of started opening my eyes to language and how important language is in regards to early child development. And this will be a discussion for another episode, but it was almost my window into like respectful parenting and that kind of thing. So it was really interesting. Um, following that, I, we moved to Chicago and I substitute taught in Chicago for two years and I did only private schools because I didn't want to deal with the hassle of uh, transferring my license over to Illinois. And I did a private Catholic school and then a super prestigious school in Chicago known as the Lab School. It's the University of Chicago's school for um, kids, like oh, faculty and wow. stuff like that. And that school was incredible. Um, it was really, really cool to be in that environment and just see the juxtaposition between what I started out as at you know a, a really bad public school in New York city to one of the best public like private educations in Chicago, if not the best. Um, it's really interesting.
0: So yeah, that's my education story. Wow. Okay. So did, did you go to a public school growing
1: up? No, I did not actually. I went to, a private Catholic school until fifth grade. And then my parents pulled me and homeschooled me until freshman year of high school. And then I was a social butterfly and said, no, 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 I want to I be with people. I want to, <laughs> you know, experience high school. And went back to high school sophomore through senior
0: year. Okay. So what you experienced as a teacher... It's is very different than your own education as well. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then you went from public to private, and then you decided to do something different with your own kids. Right. Yeah. So it's
1: so funny how once you start having kids, your views on certain life- um, on, on life changes. And I, I don't, yeah. Okay. So when we were in Chicago, it was a few years before my son, my oldest son had to go to school and there was a great community in the neighborhood that we lived in that held kind of like a, a school round table where they each talked about the schools that their kids were going to. And you could talk to the parents about that and get more information. And so wow, I attended. That's a great
0: resource.
1: Oh my gosh, it was incredible. Um, so I got I went to this ra- this neighborhood roundtable and heard about all of the schools in within I don't know like a three mile radius of where I lived. And there was one in particular that stood out to me like crazy, and it was a Waldorf school, and I had never heard of Waldorf before, and so I talked to this parent, you know, she told me a little bit more about it. And then I went to an orientation and that was it. I was sold. Um, it was the most beautiful experience I had ever seen. Um, as far as like early childhood education is concerned. And so I, we decided to send our kid, our oldest there, um, and it, it would have been from, so this particular Waldorf school went from age three through six. Uh, and then from there, if you chose to stay in Waldorf, you would transfer to the Waldorf elementary school, which there was one in Chicago. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Waldorf and what that is for those that are not familiar with it. So basically it was founded um, by a man named Rudolf Steiner in Germany and what Waldorf is it's a developmentally appropriate experiential and academically rigorous approach to education and they focus on one of one of the biggest things that Waldorf does is they integrate the arts in all academic disciplines Um, and they do this through preschool all the way through 12th grade and so Waldorf education aims to inspire lifelong learning in all students and to develop all of their unique capacities. Um, however, because my kids only went to a, the preschool form of it, three through six, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So Waldorf in th- at that age focuses a lot on the community as a whole versus each child individually. And the way they do this is, or part of the reason why they do this is because each child is at a developmental stage and they are trying to enhance the developmental stage that that child is at. And so three-year-olds are what they do is they follow they follow you around and they imitate what you're doing. So if you are washing the dishes or if you're ironing or if you're sweeping, the three-year-old is less likely to run off and play. They're going to be more likely to be your shadow and follow you around. Um, yes, I have
0: one of those right now.
1: <laughs> exactly, right. And the four-year olds are just a little bit more independent but also really mean. They're in that phase where they are starting to um, they're having a hard time sharing and they're starting to exert more independence. Um, and then and then it goes on through you know the five and the six year olds. but so the way the school was structured was they they focus a lot on outdoor play which was probably one of my biggest loves of this school. There was 2 hours every day, rain or shine, snow or no snow. I was going to say in Chicago. Yes. Yes. Oof. And so they the the only time that there was no outdoor play was I think if it was below 20 degrees. But 20 Fair. degrees up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 20 degrees and up, you just geared up and you played outside. Um and then I don't know after if I'd that make it. <laughs> Oh, I know, right. And then after that, they would come in, there would be um, a story which was a, a the teacher would tell a fairy tale and probably one of the coolest aspects of this is she would recite it. So there wouldn't be her holding up a book and showing pictures and One of the reasons why this is so important in Waldorf is because they want to develop the child's imagination, and they also want to develop vocabulary. So a three-year-old is not going to understand what some of the big words that the teacher is reciting in this fairy tale, but as they get older and they hear it the following year and they hear it you know, the following year, then they're going to understand these words in context and what they mean. Um, and then also the, the imaginative part of it. So hearing a fairy tale um, and really visualizing in your mind what is happening in that story. Um, there's always a snack or like a meal component. And the meal component is held at a table where everyone sits down together. They eat at the same time. They all eat the same food Um, this particular school had a really big emphasis on nutrient dense foods and properly preparing them, which was another reason why I loved it. Um, so they would soak their oatmeal for oats and they would, um, properly prepare their rice. And I mean, it was just great. And they added lots of butter to everything. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so that's, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to add. Waldorf has a
0: a very uh, specific um, aesthetic.
1: Yes. You're so right. Um, So, okay. I'm trying to think.
0: Like, there's the little felt dolls, and they have, they make like, yeah, um, like uh, little dolls out of um, like acorns and things, right? And isn't there like, Chalk drawings. I remember chalk drawings. <laughs>
1: yes. No, you're so right. So Waldorf focuses a lot on the natural as much as possible, and also uh, minimalism. So the there are very few toys, and they're all open ended. So, for example, there would be, and all the toys would be made from natural, um, natural things. So wood, like you said, felt. Um, yeah things from nature and there's something else that you said oh the the aesthetic okay so there's also a specific type of paint that they apply to the walls in waldorf classrooms oh. it's called Lazure oh my gosh um yeah sorry give me a second
0: um so if you look up, because I have this big giant chalkboard in my wall, I'm filling. Yeah, Lazor. I was right. It's Lazure. Okay, I was just gonna say I I have this giant chalkboard in my in my house, and I'm I change it out every season. And whenever I Google like you know fall autumn chalkboard decor or something, there's usually what comes up is a lot of um well usually what comes up is like you know those cheesy sayings. But amongst those are <laughs> These really beautiful Waldorf scenes.
1: Yes. In the elementary school, instead of using smart boards or dry erase boards or anything like that, they focus, they use chalkboards and they have different colored chalk and they create art on these chalkboards. And that's where all of the lessons are. Um, Actually, I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I want to talk a little bit about the Lazoure painting. So, this is really interesting. Basically what it is, is it's a very specific painting technique, unique only to Waldorf. And it looks the most like ombre, I guess is what you could call it. Um, And the idea is that each child at the different developmental stages um, embodies a certain color. And so early childhood, will rest and feel their best in um, the oranges and the pinks. And so early childhood, so ages three through six, you will see the classrooms painted again in this like beautiful mystical ombre style walls in like pinkish reddish colors. That's um, what is focused on in early childhood. Uh, I'm not sure I know the others because unfortunately my kids never made it to elementary school, but depending on each developmental stage, the color is different. Um, that's something that's really interesting about Waldorf. And then, so what I wanted to go back to was talk a little bit about elementary for a hot second. And one of the aspects that I absolutely loved was that when it comes to first, second, first, and second grade, there is not a lot of like sitting down at desks and, you know, writing things. Um, there is a lot of whole body movement, whole body education because we tend we seem to think we we tend to think that first and second graders, should be able to sit at desks and write for long periods of time, but that's actually incorrect. This is still an age where they don't have the physical core strength to sit at a desk properly and then to use their hand and um, manipulate a pencil properly to be able to write for extended periods of time. This is all stuff that develops over time, and a lot of it develops through uh, crossing the midline. So when you have kids that have not crawled, um, they went from, you know, they didn't do the the actual crawling where it's traditional crawling, then there, there is no brain integration happening. And so this can actually show up later in life in different ways. But so what Waldorf does is they focus, again, in first and second grade, on crossing the midline. And this sounds so crazy to some people, but there will be exercises in which all they're doing is practicing um, doing jumping jacks, or all they're doing is practicing throwing a ball and working on that hand-eye coordination or jumping rope. Um, These sorts of like gross motor skills that will then yield into the strength for fine motor skills later. Um, So first grade Waldorf classroom, the desks are super low to the ground, and the kids are sitting on a beanbag-like pillow on the ground. And the only thing that they're practicing for the first few months is uh, using a big, like, chunky crayon and just uh, working their hand, like their hand movement, and working with these big crayons. And um. and then another aspect is they are learning the alphabet. Through whole body movement. And this is something called Eurythmia. Again, very unique to Waldorf. And it's learning the sounds and the alphabet letters through physical movements and singing and dancing. And I mean, it is just fascinating. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because as someone who taught traditional education in a public school, I could see the difference of how my kids would have benefited from a pedagogy like this, especially these special ed kids that I was working with. Um, it, it was not in their favor to have them sitting at a desk eight hours a day, drilling, you know, primer, primer readers to them and testing them the way we were. Yeah. Um, which is part of the reason why I I think I fell in love with Waldorf so much. It just, it was a, a form of education that I didn't know existed that to me felt it really encompassed educating the whole child. And actually that is something that Waldorf will boast about is that they really, they emphasize, yeah, the whole child, um, Oh my gosh, that that was a really long-winded discussion on what Waldorf is.
0: And we didn't even get to your kids are not actually even in a Waldorf school anymore.
1: I know. So no, I know. I'm so sad. Um, So when we moved Chicago, when we moved from Chicago to Dallas, there is no Waldorf school in Dallas. There is a Waldorf school in Austin, but not Dallas. And to
0: drive what? Three hours?
1: Three hours, I know, right? <laughs> um, and so we had to find the next best thing. And at the time, we were also looking for a school that was open and that would offer our kids the most normal experience as possible. Right, because you and moved during COVID. We did, yes. Yeah. yeah, in the middle of all of that. Um, and this is where I really believe – there was some divine intervention. Um, I reconnected with an old high school friend here in Dallas, and she told me about this Montessori school. She said it was a really small Montessori school, and it was private and Catholic, and that I should check it out. And so we did, and we completely fell in love with the directress and the school itself. It felt similar to the Waldorf school, which was, it was in a house with a beautiful yard. Um, everything felt just like warm and cozy. And this school felt, it gave us the same feeling where again, it was in a small little house. Everything felt warm and cozy. It had a beautiful yard. Um, and we chose to send them to the Montessori school and Montessori is very different than Waldorf. It's so funny. I think people probably conflate the two. They do. Yes. They think they're similar and they couldn't be further from, they couldn't be more different. Um, I talked about how Waldorf, especially in early childhood, emphasizes community and Montessori emphasizes independence. Mm -hmm. Um, And not that one is better than the other. And I think that Maria Montessori just had a different view of early childhood development than Rudolf Steiner did. Um, You know, they came from it through different perspectives. But so basically Montessori is a system of education that develops the natural interest uh, of the child rather than formally teaching kids. And I would say that in both instances, that's one of, in both, both forms of education, that's one of the things that I really loved is that there was the teacher is not a teacher per se she's a guide and that would be true in waldorf elementary school um education as well like the teachers are guides so they're to guide the students Um, but montessori again focuses much more on developing the child's independence the kids are doing academic work as young as three which is again, different than Waldorf. There is no academic work in ages three through six in Waldorf. Um, academic work does not begin until age seven. And uh, there, yeah, so there's academic work and then they focus on what the kids are interested in. So the kids can choose their stations or they can choose their work based on what they enjoy. Um. So, it's been an interesting experience to kind of see all of these different types of education. Um, Currently, homeschooling is not really an option for me. So, this is, you know, the best that I can offer for my kids as far as, you know, a small, intimate school that I feel has the same values and, um, Standards that we're looking for. And we're really happy with it. Um, It's been, it was last year was a rough transition just because, again, like I said, Waldorf and Montessori are super, super different, but the kids are really thriving and they, you know, we're really happy
0: with it. So, okay. Well, that's about all the time that we have for an episode. So I think we're going to try and split this into two episodes. What do you think?
1: I think that's a great idea. I would love to hear about your experience homeschooling in the next episode.
0: Perfect. Okay. So we're going to do another episode. Um, So come back for that one next Week, I guess. If you guys need a little bit of inspiration for your school lunch packing, Christine has a highlight on her um, Instagram, which is Nourish the Littles. So at Nourish the Littles, and you can go to her profile and click on the highlight, and she's got really good um, photographs of what she's packing for her kids and um, why, you know, what's important to pack in a lunch to keep those kids nourished. So, thanks for listening, guys. And don't forget to review us
1: on iTunes and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode.
0: Thanks for listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. You can find Christine on Instagram at NourishTheLittles and online at NourishTheLittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at for Nutrient Sake and online at ForNutrientsSake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas.